All right, we are back. Uh, I want to take note of a uh, an email sent to me by uh, our good friend Julie in Kentucky that apparently is too late to have made the dubious achievements of the years for 2004, but will certainly lead the charge, I think, for next year's issue of Esquire. Item from San Diego. A member of the governing board of the nation's largest black denomination said Social Security is in trouble today because baby boomers aborted much of the generation that would have supported their retirement. Bishop George McKinney of the Church of God in Christ said, quote, part of the problem we're seeing now with Social Security has to do with the fact that 40 to 50 million people who have been killed through abortions have not yet taken their role as productive citizens, unquote. McKinney said the Democratic Party's support for legal abortion and gay marriage has cost its support in the black community. The Church of God in Christ is the nation's fourth largest denomination and largest black church group with about 5.5 million members. As you know, if you listen to this program, we sometimes uh, don't have any guests on so that we can catch up with all of the news items that are surrounding us, and we're going to do that today. And also address emails like the last one and like this one sent to us from Lisa in the Bay Area. This was sort of a trying to put a good face on 2004 by a group called True Majority Action. I appreciate their effort, but, um, well, let's see. They cited some good news in 2004. No new nuclear bombs. According to this group, they note, uh, who would have thought that Congress would ever cut all funding for a weapon called the Robust Nuclear Earth Penetrator? Sounds like the kind of bomb Tom DeLay would just love. But after intense grassroots pressure, Congress cut this new bomb, which is designed to burrow underground and destroy bunkers with an atomic blast, they don't mention. We should be dismantling the nukes we now have, not building dangerous new ones. So this was a good victory. Okay, I'll buy that. They note that in Sudan, even though the Bush administration wanted to ignore the genocide going on, they, uh, after grassroots pressure, decided to join Congress in calling the situation genocide and actually uh, signed the Comprehensive Peace in Sudan Bill, which puts the teeth into sanctions behind the demands that the government stop the genocide. Okay, we'll count that one too. Uh, they note in the field of renewable energy, one of the Bush administration's top priority for last year was enacting an energy policy that would further our nation's dependence on fossil fuels, locking our country into a future with more pollution, economic decline, and certainly more wars over oil. Well, I, I, think, that's, I think that's a fair enough uh, statement, hard as it is. But they say here, it was a great victory for us and the planet when after a popular uprising, Congress stopped Bush's energy bill. Okay. But uh, the next one on the list I have my doubts about. They note that it makes sense only in an Orwellian mind to declare Star Wars operable, even if this missile defense system doesn't work. But trying to do that was Bush's goal for 2004. Then they say, thanks to you, the administration was not able to do this due to failed testing, obvious incompetence, and serious grassroots pressure. I, I don't know what they're talking about. Yes, it's absurd for Bush to declare that there's an operable system that doesn't work, but I, I'm not sure what grassroots efforts did, except bring it to your attention that it's a lot of hooey. Unfortunately, we're still spending 10 to $20 billion a year on this, uh, this pie in the sky and will no doubt continue to do so. So, I don't know. I'm not sure that was a victory. They note in the field of voter registration, quote, we register thousands of new voters and put the danger of electronic paperless voting machine in the national spotlight. 11 states, including California, now plan to require voting systems that allow for recounts and issue verifiable paper trails. Even Ohio, 
Now it says it has no plans to buy any of the machines that don't generate a paper trail. This is like, I think, trumpeting the victory of the fact that we've now gotten the barn door closed after the horses are out. But I do think we have to keep trying. Uh, an email was sent to me by our friend Jerry in Pennsylvania talking about the fact that, I thought this was rather interesting, Costco has sort of been slammed by the people on Wall Street. Uh, they've been sort of irked about the fact that the nationwide retailer treats its 100,000 clerks, forklift operators, and other workers as valued assets to be invested in and nurtured, which is quite unlike the Walmart model of paying the least you can to rank and file employees and uh, busting any whisper of unionization and causing a workforce turnover, treating employees like, you know, disposable coffee cups. I think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. But, uh, you know, you do have a choice if you want to shop in one of these stores between various options, and I, I would certainly recommend that you not go the Walmart route. I don't know that um, I can verify that uh, Costco is doing all these good things, but according to an email, their starting pays $10 an hour. Workers typically earn $40,000 a year after three years on the job, and the company covers 92% of employees' health care costs. Now, it's interesting that Wall Street analysts uh, were sourpusses when it came to this uh, corporate maverick, defying the conventional wisdom that worker exploitation is the only way to succeed. Costco's benefits are overly generous, sniffed one Wall Streeter, asserting that stockholders could do even better if only Costco could conform to the Walmart model. I don't know. Apparently, Costco's turnover is minimal, its profits are strong, and its, its stock price has quadrupled in 10 years. While treating workers well? Is that so bad? I don't know. You got a choice in where you want to shop. I think you should, uh, you know, take a look at, um, you know, what's being responsible. And in that regard, I need to pull up an article I've been sitting on for a while, which came from the On Earth magazine, which I believe is the magazine of the uh, Sierra Club, is it not? God, I'm sorry to say I don't know. Anyway. Good magazine, good article about what's going on in Central America. When you buy lobster at these various chains like Red Lobster and many others, you're part of a system that is sending divers down 140 feet to pluck lobsters off the seafloor because uh, they basically stripped mined all of the easy lobsters. This is a very bad situation going on down in Central America. Red Lobster claims these are trapped lobsters, but the truth is a lot of them are picked off by divers, and there's no way to tell once they're put on, uh, on, you know, on ice where they came from. I really think you ought to read this article by Mark Jacobson on the search for red gold. And I think in the meantime, uh, you ought to give up lobster. Uh, I have. And uh, you know, the reason this is bad is that basically they're hiring desperate uh, Indians to put on tanks, go down, violate all, every safety rule we would have, you know, in North America in terms of how you can conduct scuba dives. And a lot of guys get bent. There's no decompression chambers available. There's, I think there's one. There's a, there's a big controversy in the article about whether they, do they have one, do they have two. Whatever they have, it's far insufficient for what's, uh, for what's necessary. And uh, this article shows picture after picture of young individuals um, who have lost limbs, who have, uh, due to the bends, who are uh, confined to wheelchairs and basically in a situation where there's, you know, there's a lot of people where they're unemployed, there's no shortage of folks that'll do this. And I can't help but look back over the past quarter century of ignoring the problem of overpopulation that is, that is just rampant everywhere in the third world. We've decided in the U.S. it's not a problem. These same Christian fundamentalists that think the world is going to end soon, Armageddon's coming, are not the least bit worried about uh, overpopulation. So there's been no effort to, uh, to stem the tide. As a consequence, we have population explosions everywhere in areas like Honduras. 
And um, we have a situation where people are getting killed and maimed diving because there aren't any other alternatives. Think of a lot of enough people boycott lobster for a while, you know, at least they'll get some hyperbaric chambers in Central America, at least, and then, you know, perhaps can stop the, like I say, strip mining of the natural resource. I mean, lobsters used to be so plentiful in this part of the world that you'd walk out into the surf and just basically pluck them off the bottom. And now you have to literally dive 140 feet down to find them. And divers are going down sometimes 15 times a day, which is just on the face of it, incredibly unsafe. Again, you know, we have options. We don't have to support this sort of thing. I'd say you know, a New Year's resolution might be to give up lobster for 2005. You can uh, still, you know, uh, enjoy Maine lobster, which the one with the big claws, because, you know, that's not part of this. This is the, uh, the smaller lobster that comes from Central America. But anyway, it's an issue I'd like to put on your radar screen. Another item I'd like to briefly quote from, uh, a bit of the bee clipped out and presented to us uh, from Amy, one of our listeners. This is from Don Wycliffe, the Chicago Tribune's public editor, um, and it appeared in the Bee on the 9th of January. Let me just quote a bit from this. It was titled, The Dangers of Challenging Power, and was about Gary Webb. Mr. Wycliffe noted that Gary Webb became radioactive within the newspaper industry, and uh, after his article went to work in the California state government, he said, quote, I have a confession to make. I still think Gary Webb had it mostly right. I think he got the treatment that always comes to those who dare question aloud the bona fides of the establishment. First, he got misrepresented, explains how. Then he was ridiculed as a conspiracy monger, and he explains how. In the end, Webb was rendered untouchable. I know that I risk being marked down as something of a nut for saying I think Webb was fundamentally right. Well, if you listen to our Gary Webb tribute, you know, this is pretty, pretty limp-wristed apology. Yes, you may be marked down as something of a nut, but the fact of the matter is, Gary Webb was fundamentally right. If you take the time to look it up, you will see on the CIA's own website, they admit he was fundamentally right. I'm, I'm glad for Mr. Wycliffe going to bat for Webb in his, his, in his limp-wristed way, but, you know, they take, they take pains to put at the end of uh, his, um, his bio the conclusion of his piece, the views expressed are his own. The papers that publish this don't even want to like, you know, make it seem as though they're going to bat for Webb. As we pointed out at great length recently, uh, just, you know, a, a journalistic scandal in America. And a very old scandal, in fact, a scandal from 1912, was uh, the subject of uh, one of Ken Burns' um, fantastic documentary efforts, which was aired on KVIE this week. I hope you saw... Ken Burns' documentary, Tracing the Rise and Fall of Jack Johnson, uh, because, well, it was four hours of as good a documentary as you can hope to find anywhere. Ken Burns has been consistent over the years as his looks at baseball, the Civil War, jazz, the Brooklyn Bridge, Frank Lloyd Wright, etc., etc. The guy's a national treasure. We, we, we hope we can at some future point bring Ken Burns to this program. But if you didn't get a chance to see this, please, and go out of your way to do so. Jack Johnson became uh, the black heavyweight champ, the first to do so by, uh, well, by a series of circumstances we don't have time to, to go into, but let's just say being black and heavyweight champ was not in the cards in the early part of this century. But uh, once he managed to achieve that goal, uh, white America was outraged. And when they couldn't uh, defeat him in the ring, the federal government stepped in, the Justice Department stepped in, the progenitor of the FBI, the Bureau of Investigation, charged Jack Johnson with violating the Mann Act, a federal law that was uh, 
enacted to prevent the transporting of women across state lines for immoral purposes, which the obvious target of the law was, you know, prostitution rings in the U.S. But on trumped-up charges, Jack Johnson was brought down by this law. Again, see the documentary. Uh, if, if you were um, paying attention in the 1960s and 70s, you probably know the story of Jack Johnson through the play The Great White Hope and what was going on around Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali's uh, tale was quite an echo of what happened to Jack Johnson previously. But what I find maybe the most interesting about all of this is that uh, Ken Burns has been crusading for official recognition of the injustice that was done Jack Johnson, and he's got some support in political circles. Republican Senators John McCain and Orrin Hatch, no less, have uh, are, are petitioning for the second posthumous presidential pardon in U.S. history. The first being President Clinton's 1999 pardon of the former slave and first black army officer Henry Flipper. It's far too little, and it's far too late. Johnson died in 1946. But I say better late than never. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, if you get a chance, by all means, see this documentary. One little bit of uh, scandalous politics I forgot to mention earlier. Yeah, it turned out only Barbara Boxer and John Kerry voted against the, um, the confirmation of Condoleezza Rice. And, you know, buried in the bees coverage of it was the fact that the nominee got a laudatory introduction to the committee by Dianne Feinstein, California's other Democratic senator. Feinstein said Rice, a former provost at Stanford University, quote, has the skill, judgment, and poise to lead in these difficult times, unquote. Yeah, you know, I, I know she's a local girl from Stanford, but, uh, you know, she's a liar, guys. Anyway, remember Diane Feinstein. She's up for election win? Two years? I don't know. In fairness, Senator Feinstein has done a lot of good work, but uh, we certainly can't agree with her uh, on her laudatory introduction of Ms. Condoleezza Rice. All right, also in the legal scene, yesterday morning, California executed Donald Beardsley. Something like only the 11th execution in California since it was again made legal in 1977. We would like to, uh, to back up Governor Schwarzenegger. When he, uh, in his written denial uh, for clemency, said the state and federal courts have affirmed his conviction and death sentence and nothing in his petition or the record of his case convinces me he did not understand the gravity of his actions or that these heinous murders were wrong. They were trying to argue, apparently, that when a tree branch struck him in the head at age 21, it caused organic brain damage, which then meant that even though he killed a woman for reasons he couldn't explain and was let out on parole after serving seven years of an 18-year sentence. Well, when he killed two more women and took part in their murders, the governor didn't accept the reasoning that it was unfair for Mr. Beardsley to be given the death penalty when the other two people that murdered those two girls didn't. The governor didn't find that very convincing, and we have to side with him on that because Beardsley was the only one of the three out on parole for murder. In the end, I, I can't agree with uh, his defense lawyer, Stephen Lubner, when he said that killing Beardsley was wrong, it accomplishes nothing, it demeans everyone. I don't feel demeaned, and I'm certain about one thing. Donald Beardsley isn't going to kill anybody else. This might be a good time to interject that uh, the views expressed on this program are, are mine and do not necessarily represent those of the regions of the University of California, the station, or any of the other public affairs hosts. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it doesn't. And, in fact, my producer doesn't agree with me either on this. But, uh, you know, I, I've, I know three people who have been murdered, and I, I just don't have a problem with the death penalty. 
I don't think that it should be uh, widely applied, but I think in certain instances people have worked hard to earn it, and it shouldn't be denied them. I think it's a bit screwball when I look at our, our judicial system and read an article uh, such as this from the AP, Dateline Lake Charles, Louisiana, journalist freed after fourth trial in 61 slaying. Wilbert Rideau, confessed killer, who gained fame for exposés of harsh Louisiana prison life, won his freedom after 44 years in Louisiana prisons after they convicted him for manslaughter. He got tried again for manslaughter as a lesser charge for murder, and then when they convicted him, he basically was let out for time served. In the AP story, it mentioned that uh, that, uh, his lawyer contended that he panicked after a botched bank robbery and stabbed her impulsively. Of course, my producer heard a report on the radio that he had abducted three people and attempted to slash the throats of all three, one of whom died. I'm sorry. This is one reason I'm for the death penalty. You can give a guy like this a sentence. You can charge him for a lesser crime. You can monkey around. This guy's out. Why should he ever be out? And how about this, uh, this item for more judicial insanity? The murder conviction of Andrea Yates was overturned by a three-judge panel in Texas by their Court of Appeals when, uh, in the appeal, Yates's lawyer argued to the court that their expert, their psychological expert, a Dr. Dietz, the prosecutor's sole mental health expert, falsely testified that he'd been a consultant for an episode of Law and Order that involved the woman who drowned her children and was found innocent by reason of insanity. Well, in fact, there was no such episode. But the jury had already convicted Yates when her attorneys discovered that. Prosecutors argued in their closing argument that the Law & Order episode gave Yates an idea of how she could escape the burdens of her life and get away with it. (laughs) Of course, the defense didn't bother to check to find out at the time there was no such episode. I'll grant that if you you drowned five of your children, all five of your children in a bathtub, you're crazy. But, you know, is Texas one of these states that has a guilty but insane possibility? Because it looks like we're spending a lot of taxpayers' dollars over exactly how we're going to convict or retry or monkey around or do this or that over a woman who is obviously guilty, comma, but insane, period. We did a show two years ago on the stupidity of psychiatric testimony in the courtroom. We may have to revisit that subject. The idea that, that a guy it carries weight a so-called psychiatric expert carries weight because he was a consultant for an episode of the TV show Law and Order is about as nuts as, you know, anything else we might cite in this case. Uh, psychiatrists don't have special insight into people like Andrea Yates. That's that's the bad news. And uh, the further bad news is they don't have any treatment for him either. And no, I'm not suggesting in the case of Andrea Yates that the death penalty would be appropriate. That seems to me a clear-cut case where it, it would not be. You know, it seems we have to go back to what, what Governor Schwarzenegger said, you know, about this, this Mr. Beardsley. He was convinced, the governor was, that he did understand the gravity of his actions and that the heinous murders were wrong. But this goes back to the original McNaughton rule. Someone who doesn't understand what he's doing obviously can't be held accountable for his actions. That's very basic to all this, and I think nobody disagrees. I just think that when you start arguing that, you know, getting hit with a tree branch means you didn't understand that, you know, cutting people's throats is wrong... Is, is pretty wacky. And on a happier note, in a matter of, uh, of uh, regulations and laws, the FDA is re-examining the issue of the morning-after pill. Apparently, the stink caused by their uh, politically motivated refusal to let it go over the counter 
has given it a second shot. Uh, We would note that the New England Journal of Medicine last April said a treatment for any other condition from hangnail to headache to heart disease with a similar record of safety and efficacy would be approved quickly. The doctors had said that were on the FDA advisory committee. And, uh, well, I I hope that we do see this go over the counter. It's, It's high time that it did. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. We'll be back in our third segment after a couple messages. 